Hey guys, welcome back. My name is Simon Kiratin, Senior Journalist for XR Today. We're always bringing you the latest and greatest from the VR, AR, and XR industries. Today, we're going to be speaking to Mr. Kyle Jackson. He is the Chief Executive of Tailspin. It's a wonderful company doing some very good um, immersive learning solutions uh, over there and the, over on the other side of the pond in the United States. So it's a pleasure having you here, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, brilliant. We're going to dive right into this. So before we get started, I wanted to ask, um, can you tell us a little bit about what Tailspin offers its clients and what kind of solutions it provides? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, let's see, so we started um, with the mindset of how do we develop a immersive learning ecosystem or, or at scale? And so uh, in trying to figure out that, that Rubik's Cube, um, we've settled on uh, conversational-based learning uh, as, the, as the tip of the spear. And, um, and we've been building tools to, to, to actually put that in the hands of enterprises themselves. Um, because we always assumed that uh, there's no way that any company in this space is going to be able to learn all the problems that everybody's facing uh, in any, any, any uh, reasonable amount of time. So really, we had to shift the development of content onto those experts. And uh, in this space, that's a challenge, right? Because it is a very, uh, it can be a very technical uh, craft. And so um, those skills haven't you know, existed inside the enterprise in in large quantity. You know, we've seen a lot of great innovation teams that can tackle um, you know XR kind of development, but um, those innovation teams again are, are are not necessarily the people who really understand the problem. So, so we built um, uh, basically three main things. Now we've built a, a no code offering environment that puts that power into the business you know person's hands. Uh, we've built a learning learner experience platform that helps to solve some of the distribution frictions that exist in the enterprise space that make it just really easy to distribute, just like any other content format that they might be looking at using. And then we uh, solved a lot of the enterprise integrations layer. So like kind of the traditional like LMS world um, when it comes to learning technology, um, that layer is, is something that uh, also has to be kept in mind because this doesn't exist on an island uh, or if it does, it's a, it's a problem. It will never scale. And so uh, we wanted to make sure it just it kind of it just flowed into the overall infrastructure and in, in, in um, just like any other modality. Here and I know that um, you know with the solutions that you do provide, you know immersive learning is one of the fastest growing verticals in the entire XR industry, and um, you know companies such as yours will be able to help facilitate the growth and the up, you know the upskilling and upscaling, <laughs> I suppose, mm -hmm. of uh, that type of infrastructure. So um, what we're going to go ahead and do, we'll jump right into the first question that I'd like to ask you about, which, of course, is about, um, you know, what are some of the benefits of working with VR training compared to traditional um, training methods and methodologies? And for you, I guess, uh, how does your company deliver these to others and, you know, look at some of the quantifiable statistics related to that? Yeah, we... we um... Gosh, it's a great question. So we, we look at this problem as a, a very macro problem that we're trying to solve, not just an XR problem. The, the macro problem is that we are going through so much change as organizations and, and as individuals in our kind of personal and career development and org development these days that we needed um, um, a better tool set to keep up with that, that pace of change. Um, then when you when you look at video, you look at in person classroom learning. You look at you, know, you look at the other solutions that are trying to to go at for this problem, and um, and they all have major pitfalls to kind of keep up. Some are um, if you're familiar with the learning pyramid, you know there's 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 a direct correlation right between the modality and the way you're engaged with the content with your own retention or or measurement of of 
you know, kind of effectiveness of that content. And so, um, so we like internally like to think about it as, is we have to move people from passive learning, which is like what you would, you would consider kind of video based learning or, or some of like the, they call it BILT, you know, kind of like the zoom, zoom type learning, um, to active learning, which, which VR and simulation is like, you're, you're leaned in, right. You are in the simulation. You're, you're making decisions in a way like you would in real life and passive learn or, um, active learning is, is really, really effective. And so you end up getting, uh, an exponential lift on retention, an exponential lift on uh, how fast people can learn. Um, and it's actually because of the engagement method, we keep getting people reporting back that it's this, it's much more enjoyable. Like people actually from an NPS perspective would much rather that type of engagement than the other things that they've been offered historically. So all of these things, like they all add up to a really nice, uh, counterbalance to the challenge that we're up against, which is the challenge is the world moves freaking fast. <laughs> And, uh, and people need uh, support to keep up with that. And organizations are trying to kind of fight through all these changes all at once. Um, and immersive learning seems to, to solve a lot of those problems. Yes, yes. And there's, um, there's a lot that have been reported on about, you know, the benefits of using it, like um, the jump, the pretty much a meteoric jump in um, kind of learner retention, you know, engagement rates, things of that nature, quantifiable um, targets that you can reach. You can set for each of the individual learners and make sure that they get to a certain level to kind of gauge exactly how well they're absorbing a lot of the curriculum. So, yeah, um, I was curious about pretty much like um, what kind of analytics do you like to track whenever you use these types of programs? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, and I think it goes back to what you were just saying. Um, you know, we have so many different ways to observe um is a learner uh, grasping the concept in, in when you're when you're in this modality, right? Like we have so many different touch points um, in our in, in the way we do it. And, you know, most of that's around conversation. So we look at what's said, what choices are made, what's said as a major um, indicator of of grasping those core concepts. Um, but in other in other kind of immersive simulations, you know, you can actually look at the tasks that are performed and things like that. So there's a ton of data to 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 swim through, and so. Um, we've actually seen that as a challenge in the enterprise space. You know, you're going from, you know, from a, 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 a let's call it a data rich environment, but obviously not great data. Like, cause you know, when you look at video or you look at the types of learning activities or, or uh, data that flows out of those learning activities, it's very basic, um, in most cases. And so you're going from that where you have tons of data, but it's very basic data to this sea of potentially really, really rich data. Um, and that itself is a big transition for organizations to understand how to use that. So what we did is we said, you know, let's use what we, we saw a trend, which was that everybody seems to be locking on the idea of a skill as, as a badge or as something that you can point to instead of, instead of like the larger, um, uh, you know, if you were look at the paradigm today, right? Resumes, university degrees, these are, these are kind of our proof points. Well, now we're saying we need to get more granular than that. And the unit of measurement is, is actually going to be a skill. Um, which we see in LinkedIn, we see a lot of places where people are kind of following that kind of that kind of thinking. Um, but what we did from an analytics perspective is we took all of that complex data that's there in these immersive simulations, and we just made it simple on the back end to look at skills. And so when you log into our dashboard, um, you know it, it's not it's not overwhelming the enterprise with lots of like positional data or interaction data, things like that that you you know, you know we can measure. And people are measuring very effectively in these simulations, but we make it very simple. 
It's like, here's the proof point of this skill that you care about. Uh, and, and, and the reason why is all the choices that were made and all the things that we observed, but we make, we make the actual output very simple to understand. Um, and that's the unit that everybody cares about at the end of the day. You know, if I'm assembling a team or I'm trying to better understand the proficiencies inside my organization, I just want to look at that skill layer because that, that already is granular enough for me to have a much better um, insight to, to, to just where we sit as an organization. So that seems to be resonating. Um, and a lot of the major learning platforms, uh, governments, I mean, everybody seems to be um, rallying around this idea of, 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 of better visibility around skills from a validated standpoint. Not just like, you know, I think one of the challenges with, with the way that LinkedIn does is, is it's not, it's kind of validated, but everybody, it's, it's like set, we can all put our own skills up there. And so that validation loop isn't, isn't very tight. And so in simulation, um, that can become very, a very tight validation loop. You know, um, you've proven it uh, because of what we saw you do or what you did inside the content. Um, so now I can take that skill as fact, which is really powerful. Right, it takes all the bias out of the system. It really makes a lot of things um, like a super highway for how we think about organizing teams and and progression at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we've seen quite a bit of um, examples from different kinds of companies who do offer these kinds of solutions, and they've noticed just like amazing things that they could track. They know exactly how well you know the students are engaging in the content where they actually made issues with content and um, you know how they can improve on that so for example a team of people working on an oil rig they take one of these immersive learning courses and they're able to actually you know know exactly where they made a mistake and they can go back to that repeat that over and over again to actually nail it so that when they're ready to deploy to these locations these remote places where they may not receive the same you know the, the same support um, they will always have those skills ready for themselves when they train, you know, on the fly with these types of, um, you know, these types of training modules. So speaking of the training modules, I was actually going to ask you about um, Copilot. So it's one of yeah. the it's one of the major um, platforms that your company has created. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what it does, like the no code uh, tool that it actually offers a lot of content creators? Yeah, uh, and your point of the um the oil rig is actually an interesting one because I think a lot of us immediately go to these kind of like high risk, um, hard to reach places where that that's where that training impact can be made. We're kind of doing the same thing, but it's actually it's it's just a bit different, right? Because our our high risk scenarios are really focused around conversation, around around communication, um, and and they do have a a heavy cost when you fail in those moments, right? So. What we what we focus and those 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 are you know doctor patient conversations, doctor staff conversations, their sales conversations, their customer service conversations, their leadership conversations, their diversity equity inclusion conversations, their performance review conversations. These are I mean there's tons of these things that happen in every single business, and they're all high risk honestly you know because if you get them right man it, it pays huge dividends, but if you get it wrong I mean whew, you can, it's a slippery slope you know um, doesn't matter if it's a customer service issue or or something in the leadership, you know, lane. So, um, so I still think of it as like it's high risk, safe place to fail. Like that's ultimately what we've accomplished with this space, right? Um, and so, what Copilot Designer was was built for was to try to take uh, that conversational learning aspect and put it in the hands of 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 the learning designers, the narrative designers, and the business um, uh, experts. Um, take it out of the hands of of game developers and XR developers, and so. 
And it's a no-code environment, which allows you to build those conversational models. Um, and what we did is we just optimized all of the complex stuff uh, and put it in the background. So, you know, um, we do we generate speech on the fly, but that's a background process. So you can pick a voice, and it and it and it dis, and it makes the actual uh, spoken words. We hook up that speech to a, uh, an animated character. We do all the animation in the background. Um, and so these are all things that if you are in a typical like Unity or Unreal development process would be, you know, you could build systems that, that, that make it um, faster and faster, but you still require a pretty high degree of development skills. Um, and so now that's all background process. And you can build a lot, you know, based, between the building blocks we have in Copilot Designer, you can, you, you know, the conversation is kind of the key driver, but you also have uh, environmental context. So you can move people around through virtual spaces and have different conversations. Or, you know, if you were doing a, an onboarding of an oil rig, for example, you could still use Copilot Designer for that. Just, we just wouldn't focus the actual interactions on the, on the, on the high fidelity tasks. We would focus it on the kind of high level information flow of how does that environment work? Um, what are maybe some of the danger, uh, danger points and things like that. So those are all, um, user interactions that can be delivered via this kind of no-code environment today. Um, I would expect that that's going to continue to like grow over time where we'll be able to support more and more complex interactions. Um, but out of the gate, you know, every one of those complexities adds a, a, an inverse challenge for the business because um, it requires them to, to do things that are, are not like the development skills there get higher and higher and higher the more complex you get. Right. So we as an industry have to make that simple the way that we've made kind of the conversational learning aspect simple. Um, and it, we will, you know, we'll find we'll find paradigms that like become universal, um, just like happened in mobile and just like has happened in console gaming and other things. And as those things become really universal, then you can, you, you know, of course, you can roll them back into kind of no code tools where people um, can use those paradigms. So. I think it'll just continue to expand in its number of use cases, but right now it's really focused on those ones that I was kind of outlining. Yeah, absolutely. And um, with the no-code tools, you know, another thing that really does for a lot of people is it democratizes the process. So back in the old days, you know, you had to have a team of Unity developers, um, people who were familiar with um, Epic Games' Unreal Engine, and it took quite a bit of a painstaking process to get all the, um, you know, the metrics, the things that you needed, the elements, um, the you know, real-time 3D objects that are programmed into it. Nowadays, it's just a matter of a snap of a finger and people can you know, put those things in in a few minutes and get the content ready to go, you know, just in case they need to do any tweaking or um, adjustments to the modules they want to offer. And I'm seeing this across the board um, from a few companies we're already you know, discussing things with that this is the way forward in delivering this kind of generative AI type module and or yep. at least, you know, application program interface. So, um, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit of something, um, you know, looking at these types of, you know, generation tools, what do you think about the democrat the democratization long word sorry the democratization yeah, yeah, yeah. of the entire process and how it can increase the availability to people hopefully you know bringing more people into vr to make these tools you know more widespread um so we've we've taken a pretty deep look at this from an l and d perspective right um which is which is kind of our 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 lane um, and it's really, really clear kind of how the roles start to shift 
now um, at, with the hands of, of, of large language models and, and kind of generative art tools and things like that that are coming or are already here. Um, so it, it's a lot like we see with just, a lot, you know, a lot of roles in business. You know, it, it's like the traditional role that's been in place for maybe one or two or three or five decades um, is shifting at the hands of technology. And it's becoming this dance between, you know, man and machine or, or, or people and machine. Um, and that again, shifts the skill set a bit. So the paradigm we've been using internally is, um, if you think of conversational learning, you know, a lot of times it was more, it was a writer's trade. Like if you were a really good narrative designer, uh, with a learning background, you could, you could be effective in creating those simulations. Um, with generative AI, it becomes a little bit more of a director's trade. You know, now you're, now you're having this dance with your tools that, um, that you you have to be you still have to be very intentional about uh and you still have to have you still are going to lean on your narrative background and your learning you know design background because um you're still going to validate the outputs right you're still going to you know massage the content in a way to fit your use case so you're still learning on those things but your actual role is is shifting a bit um and and that that's interesting because in some cases that completely opens it up to a lot a lot larger uh population of of individuals who can create and in other cases, it, it, it kind of can narrow it. I'd say for for learning, it's going to widen it up, widen it out a lot, um, and uh, and and the speed at which you can create content is 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 significantly faster, um, and therefore you can now be more nuanced. So like like in the past, if you had time to do one large learning initiative, you know what they often time to do is they try to you know find like the most common model for all learners that might take that. As we know, like learners are very different. We are very, like, some of us learn better one way. Some of us come, you know, like your baselines are different. Everything's very different. And so to take like a generalized approach to learning in and of itself is, is, is problematic. And so, but these tools give us the power to maybe, again, because we're because it's so much faster and it's, it's you know, like from a, from a content delivery perspective, maybe now we can create five modules in the time it took, would have taken one. And so now we can, you know, kind of be a little bit more nuanced or a little bit more intentional about some of the things we're trying to do. So I, uh, I mean, for, for us, it, it, it feels like that's a 2023 kind of major change initiative that's going to happen across the learning industry. Um, and we kind of always assumed that, that, that this was one of the like generative large language module, mo- uh, models was going to be one of, the fir- one of the first places that matured. Um, so it's another reason why we focused on conversational learning, um, because now that tool set can be leveraged um, in generating content at scale. So we're really we're really excited about you know how we pull all these things together now, um, but it's, we've been thinking about it for a long time. Yeah, defo. And um, you know, and as we you know, con- as we continue to monitor like what's happening in the industry, we tend to see that there's things like ChatGPT, Dali, and a lot of new tools like OpenAI tools <clears throat> that are used to kind of create these generative processes. And um, that's going to empower companies even more as they create their own proprietary versions of them from the open source code. So um, it's going to be interesting how we see that develop. We've already seen Microsoft developing it as well. Google's making their own tool. And so it's just going to be a new, you know, a new rush, a new tech rush, you know, just along with people who were involved in the metaverse. There are also going to be people involved in, you know, the developments of new AI models. So, um, I was going to ask you quickly about that. Speaking of like some of the new kind of collaborations that you have created, um, you actually worked a little bit with Accenture. Um, there was a series of fundraising that took place. And um, yeah. 
I wanted to know a little bit more. Were you involved in their um, metaverse continuum plans, or um, could you go yeah, into we, more detail? Yeah, we have about been. Yeah, we've we've been involved in um, both kind of internal and um, go to market initiatives. Um, um, you know, Accenture and, and and a lot of our other partners see the same kind of thing with Copilot Designers. They find it's a it's a business tool. You know, it's something that you, that they as as a partner can build a business around. It's something that they can help empower their customers to build a business case around. So you know, so we get out of the um, we get out of the kind of the ether of XR or metaverse into very tangible things very quickly, which has really helped helped us right to to in these relationships. So. Um, but yeah, we helped, we helped, uh, on their large, uh, internal rollout, um, all the, 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 the very large headset purchase that was, that was, um, covered last year. Uh, they've been a great partner. Uh, we work very closely with, with, with PwC and, and Deloitte and, uh, Pearson out of the UK there. Um, OES in Australia, we, we've got a pretty big partner network now. We, we've been very kind of ecosystem minded in the way we've been building the company. So this is this is very much our our like kind of our pri our primary um, business motion is to help other people um, win, you know, and 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 let us be something that helps to focus on removing those frictions that you know this new modality um, has that we have to we have to kind of like you know we have to we have to push those into the background. We have to make it simple for everybody. And so the center is a great example of, of that kind of a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, after they did the um, 60,000 headsets, um, they decided they were going to create this um, continuum program. And then you see a lot of new ecosystems uh, raising about in the United States with the XR Association, the uh, XR for Europe and European Union. So there's going to be a lot of new possibilities for these types of deepening collaborations to take place. Uh, wherever you go. So um, I think that should, you know, especially even for Tailspin, that's going to be a very lucrative um, expansion into the future of, you know, VR learning and other, and other types of sources. So um, I was going to ask you, um, were there any other things that you'd like to add or speak about or discuss regarding Tailspin and where its direction I mean, plans to go? I mean, I, I think your last point there is, is a good one. You know, we... Um... What we've been seeing is is there's a global conversation going on around these things that is is actually quite encouraging, you know. So, um, you know, like like ours, our our partnership with the center is 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 not necessarily U.S. centric. It's it's very global. I mean, where that those where that content went and and how it's been distributed has been in you know dozens of countries. Um, we see a strong pull in Asia Pacific right now, where there's some real thought leadership going on. Um, and, and, you know, one of our lead investors is Seek out of Australia. So they're very, very in tune with kind of the labor markets and how that's going. And so we see that conversation going on. We see the Pearson conversation going on, which is London based, right? And, and they're a global leader in education and they're being pulled a lot into what's going on in, in EMEA, you know, um, see a lot of thought leadership going on in the Middle East. So, but the, I would say the thing that's really, um, uh, inspiring or encouraging is I feel like generally it does feel like people are having the same kind of pretty responsible conversation around these things. Um, and people are prioritizing a lot of like the ethical and legal considerations of not just, not just XR and a, a richer data set, but also generative AI. And what does that do to, um, to organizations and, and, and just the broader kind of questions around, um, you know, how does this affect everybody? So I think, um, 
it's been a big concern of ours for a while, knowing how powerful that, you know, anything that's this powerful has always got, you know, there's always that, those risks on the other side. And so I think this, uh, this last like year, year and a half has been really encouraging in that, in that, in that matter, because I feel like we're actually now having a, a pretty, you know, a pretty global and pretty, um, level-headed conversation around it. Um, so I think, and those are things that are going to have to be sorted before we see scaled adoption. You know, people, people want to understand the risks. They want to understand these kinds of things. So I think, um, between the no code tools and the, that type of, um, uh, that type of, of, of very thoughtful considerations that are going on to broader adoption. Um, we're just going to continue to see people step up their engagement. Um, you know, if you rewind the clock four years ago, like think of yourself in a corporate position where you're making a critical decision like this, you, you know, are you really comfortable to, to, to bet the farm on it? You know, there's just a lot of things that could go wrong. And so um, I think we're getting to a place now where people have that confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, board members, especially on these companies who are being disrupted by these new technologies, they're going to have, like you said, a lot of questions to, to seek answers for, because, you know, who knows how it's going to affect the operations. Say, for example, there's very little ethics that have been outlined as far as these new emerging technologies. There are no standards. Um, <laughs> the alliances are shifting every day. So, you know, companies such as yours, we're involved in the entire ecosystem. We're going to have, you know, they will they will go with the flow with these new changes, these new alliances, and these new um, collaborations because that will help to build a solid foundation for the future of the industry. So that, you know, there are no major issues over, you know, how a technology records biometrics, how a company, you know, decides to use its technologies, or how people decide to build, you know, solutions for those you know, VR headsets that then use the technologies. So there's a lot of questions to ask and answer. But um, I just wanted to say it's been a fantastic conversation with you. I do appreciate it. Um, once again, we've been speaking to Mr. Kyle Jackson. He is the chief executive of Tailspin. Uh, you can go ahead and check out his website, and we'll include that in the um, conversation below. Uh, if you'd like to follow other conversations like this, please do so at the XR News hashtag at Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, once again, my name is Tamar Curitan, Senior Journalist for XR Today. And it's a pleasure to have you on today again, once again, Kyle. And have a wonderful, fantastic time. Yeah, have a great week. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. And until next time, bye now.